were supposed to look at Joel last Sunday. Well, I say we were supposed to. Obviously, we weren't supposed to because no matter how many vitamins I took and everything, I still ended up with the cold. I was so excited. I got home from family camp, and we didn't come home with any sicknesses this year. That was miraculous. We've come home with, from family camp with stomach viruses and head colds and all kinds of stuff, but we came home this year healthy, and I was so excited. I texted pastor when we got home and said, we're home, and we didn't get sick, and then we got home, and I caught something, so but we had discussed, <clears throat> we had looked at the book of Joel, uh, sorry, Hosea before. One thing I didn't have time to talk about the last time, one thing I'm trying to find in each one of these prophets is where do we see Christ? Who is Christ portrayed as in each of these prophets? And in the book of Hosea, of course, we find him as the bridegroom, as the husband, the one who is the savior, who has come to seek and to save his bride, and to rescue his bride. And um, <clears throat> so we find him as Savior in the book of Hosea and as the groom. And let's look this morning at Joel, three chapters. <clears throat> it's a very short book, yet a very powerful book. A lot of great truths in the book of Joel. So let's just jump right in this morning and... Let's look, see if we can learn from the great prophet Joel. Call him the prophet of the plague. There was a plague that attacked the land of Judah, and God gives him a message in association with this plague that they face. First of all, the name Joel means Yahweh is God. It's, if you you look at his I mean, it's such a short name, but yet Yo or Joe, as we would pronounce it, um, is um, the beginning of Jehovah or Yahweh, um, and then which is Lord, and then um, El or the E L at the end of his name. Some people pronounce his name Joel. Um, L is for the name of God, the Great, the High God. And so um, some define that you could say his name means Jehovah God or Jehovah is God. The time period of the book of Joel is uncertain. If we go back to the chart we looked at before when we were studying the writing of Hosea, um, notice Joel is not on this chart because we don't know exactly when he wrote. I think I've looked at different opinions. Some say he wrote here after the Babylonian captivity, but I think it was Jason Lowe Baxter that, point, that considered the arguments for him writing at the very end as very immature um, and just very weak arguments. I think he was probably one of these earliest prophets, um, but we don't know exactly when it happened, because he does not mention specifically any kings that were ruling at the time. He doesn't mention, and none of the books of the kings or anywhere else mentions the plague that he dealt with. <clears throat> so we don't really know exactly when Joel was prophesying. We're guessing probably one of the earliest of the writing prophets. 
<clears throat> the historical setting of his writing, as I've already mentioned, was a plague. It was a locust plague. Actually, probably two plagues. A lot of the things you read about Joel will talk about the plague, as though there was one plague, and that's how I was first approaching it. But it kept being confusing to me because I kept seeing he's talking about a plague that's happened, and he's talking about a plague that's going to happen. And I looked at the second plague as just simply 100% an analogy or an allegory of um, the day of the Lord, the end time judgment that was coming, that is coming. Um, but the more I've studied it, the more I really think he's talking about two different plagues. He's saying, we just had this plague and it was bad. You think this was bad, something else bad is about to happen. And that second bad plague that was about to happen was a forerunner or a foretaste, a picture to the nation of Judah of um, the coming day of the Lord, the coming day of judgment that we're still yet to see. Thank you, baby. Um, I've done some reading lately about locust plagues. And what Joel describes in chapter 2, which some say is pretty unbelievably descriptive, um, so therefore he can't really be talking about a real locust plague. But I've read um, accounts of people who have lived in the Middle East and in Africa and have seen locust plagues. And some of the things they describe is almost word for word the way Joel described locust plagues in chapter 2. So he had some really drastic, um, really disturbing um, things to describe in this locust plague. His audience was the southern kingdom. He was addressing them throughout his short writing. He keeps referring to Jerusalem and to Judah. So we know he was um, prophesying to the southern kingdom. He was probably um, actually in Jerusalem doing his preaching. He keeps addressing um, the priests. And so it wouldn't be a bit surprising if the prophet Joel was actually inside Jerusalem preaching these messages. And of course, we've got our map from before. Hosea was preaching to the northern kingdom, but now we have Joel who's preaching to the southern kingdom and their capital is here, was here in Jerusalem. I would say the key verse is Joel 1, 15. Joel chapter 1 and verse 15, although you could say chapter 2, um, the beginning of verse 1 could kind of be classified as well as a theme verse. But if you look in verse 15 or a key verse, 115, alas for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. He's dealing with the day of the Lord, and he uses this word, the day of the Lord, two different ways at least. Um, Jason Lobaxter points out that he uses it three ways, and I want to quote him because I thought this was really insightful. He says this phrase, the day of the Lord, is used in three ways. First, in a local sense. Second, in a final sense. And third, in a double sense. And what he means by that is the local sense is something's about to happen now that they were going to experience. 
So he was saying there, the day of the Lord is at hand. We're about to experience the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a day of wrath, a day where God shows up and he really pours out judgment. Um, in a final sense is when the scripture uses the term talking about the last days. This terrible time that's going to come, we read about it in the book of Revelation. Um, we read it about it in Daniel, about... <clears throat> This time and of the tribul- great tribulation period at the end, and at the end of the great tribulation period, where the wrath of God is poured out, we refer to this as the day of the Lord. So we said it's used in a local sense, meaning something that's about to take place, and it's not just the prophet Joel that uses it in this way. Secondly, the final sense, which is talking about the last days, and then the third is a double sense, meaning something bad is about to happen. And it's a picture of what's going to happen in the last days. So, Joel does use this in all three ways. In chapter 1, it's completely a local sense. In chapter 2, sorry, rather, chapter 3, it's completely a final sense. And in chapter 2, whereas he is still talking about a literal plague that's about to happen, that literal plague is also a picture of what is going to happen in the last days. Baxter went on to say, the phrase must not always be interpreted as the end of the present age. And when I started studying Joel, I only was looking at it as the end of the present age. So I kept getting confused with some of the things Joel was saying. But when I started started realizing as I was reading Joel, as I started realizing, wait, he's using this in more than one way. He said, but we must add that even where this expression does not look right onto the end of our own age, it is reserved to denote only the most extraordinary visitations of divine judgment. So if you see the word the day of the Lord in prophecy and scripture, you know he's talking about something that's going to be intense. So um, let's see. What's next? So we talked about uh, Joel means Yahweh is God, Jehovah's God. Um, he's writing to the southern kingdom during two, during, in between two locust plagues. He's talking about the day of the Lord. And then where do we see Christ? Who is Christ? Let's look at a couple of verses. Chapter 2, if you look at chapter 2 and verse 32. He says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Um, That word delivered, the Hebrew word can be translated delivered. It can also be translated saved. And so in the scriptures, when in the New Testament, Paul says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was quoting, it was a direct quote. It's just a different word in the translation here. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So we see him as Savior here. Whoever calls on him will be saved. And then in chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people. So he is their hope here and the strength of the children of Israel. 
So he's the hope of his people, and I failed to put down that third one on the PowerPoint, but he's also the strength of the children of Israel. So when we look at end-time prophecy, sometimes it can be dark, it can be heavy, it can be daunting, but if you're looking for the most important thing, which is who is Christ, it's really not that bad because we see he's the hope of his people. And if I'm trusting in him, and Hosea has said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved from what? Well, we'll be saved from hell, of course. We'll be saved from our sin, of course. But we'll also be saved from the day of the Lord. I don't have to fear the judgment of God because I have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I don't have to be fearful of end-time prophecy or anything that's going to happen in the future because the Lord is my hope. He's the hope of Israel, and I've called upon him. And as we'll see in a minute, um, when we understand what Paul, what Joel is prophesying here, we realize this gives us as Gentiles hope that he is our hope as well. We can trust in him because we've called on his name to be saved. So let's look at the outline of the book. It's a really simple outline. You know, some books of the Bible where the chapter divisions end up in our English Bibles, where the chapter divisions end up, it can be right in the middle of a thought from time to time. But in the book of Joel, we have very clear outline here, and it's divided by the chapters for the most part. <laughs> Let's look here. Um, chapter one and most of chapter two is covered under point number one. It's a historical judgment a literal judgment that took place that Joel is dealing with. Let's look at a few of these verses. Let's just begin at verse number one. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And so this is all we know about him personally is that he was Pethuel's son. We don't know who Pethuel was or where he was from or anything, but that's what we know about him. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Now look at as he's starting out, look at the different groups he's addressing. Number one, the old men. Secondly, all the inhabitants of the land. So he's covered everybody here. Everybody listen up. Everybody pay attention. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Have you ever seen anything like what we're talking about here? Tell ye your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. <laughs> that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Now, if I understand this correctly, these are basically four different stages of the life of a caterpillar. Not caterpillar, sorry. Wow, where did that come from? Um, of a locust. And so you have the locust hatching out. Um, he begins to walk and he begins to eat and then he begins to leap and then he begins to fly as he gets older. And, um, and so he's giving us four different stages of the locust and what one doesn't eat, the older ones eat. And what those don't eat, the older ones eat. And what those don't eat, the older ones eat, and so obviously the older they get, the um, 
the more develop, highly developed they get, the higher they can fly. They can get up into the tops of the trees now and um, just cause massive destruction. Verse number five, he says, Awake ye drunkards and weep, and howl all ye drinkers of wine because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. So now he addresses the drunkards. He said, now you have a reason to mourn because they've destroyed all of the um, crops, all of the vineyard. And so we're not going to have any more wine. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree, so the fig tree is destroyed. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. So he says the drunk should be upset because they're not going to have any liquor anymore. He said, but in the house of the Lord, the priest should be upset because we're not going to have offerings to bring before the Lord anymore. He said, the priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is waste, is wasted, the land mourneth, the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. So there goes the olive crops. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the palm granite tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of God, for the meat offering, the drink offering, is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a feast. Oh, sorry, a fast. Wow, I said just the opposite. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord. And cry unto the Lord, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So he's calling for a fast because there is repentance needed in the nation of Judah. He's calling for them to um, to repent, to mourn, to weep. Look at verse 19. He said, O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. They've got more problems than just locusts. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Apparently there's a drought taking place at the same time. So we're talking major destruction. Their crops are not going to be in existence. The wine is not going to be able to be made because all of the, the grapevines have been destroyed. There's fires. There is a drought. He's describing a horrible time. That's the reason why he said at the beginning, have you ever seen anything like this before? Then we get to chapter 2. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. 
Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. What's he talking about? Is he saying <coughs> that the final judgment is about to be here? Armageddon's about to take place. Um, we're about to have a major battle. Is this what he's saying? I don't think that's what he's saying in chapter 2, because I think he's continuing on with all of the natural disasters that Israel has been facing. He warns them, the day of the Lord's at hand. You think it's bad now, it's about to get worse. Because look what he starts describing. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spreadeth upon the mountains. A great people and strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Now, some say he's describing here the nations from the north that come down as Russia will come down to invade Israel one day and will surround Israel. Um, it's very, uh, I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that that is what this is a picture of. But I think he's literally talking about an army of creatures, an army of insects that are about to invade once again, they're about to have another invasion. Now, why do I think that? If we look down here, um, he describes them as an army that's coming. He describes them as horsemen. And I've read accounts of people who have lived through locust plagues in Israel, and they describe them as it looks like an army marching at you. They describe the sound from inside their houses listening to these insects eating everything they can get a hold of. They said if they can get in a house, they even eat le leather containers. You know, in Africa, they'll keep some things in like goat skins and stuff. They said they'll start eating the containers inside the house. Um, if they can get inside your window, it's going to be bad. Um, they, they come along and they said that they'll just climb up one side of the wall. And if they can find any openings in the house, they come inside and they start eating what's inside. Um, if they can't get in, they just go over the house come down the other side, and this is what Joel, and we don't have time to read all these verses, but this is what Joel's describing. He describes the darkness that comes. Well, they describe how you can't see the sun eventually if these plagues get bad enough. Um, they create this darkness. You're not going to see the stars. You're not going to see the moon. Um, it can be a really horrible, terrible time. In verse 10, he describes it's like an earthquake. He said, the earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And Jesus talked about these very type of things happening in the last days. And no doubt this is a picture of what will happen. But I read one man said that um, when the locusts begin to hatch, he said, they'll be out in the desert. And he said, it looks like the dust comes alive. And it's like an earthquake as the ground starts shaking because all these little critters are starting to hatch. And um, of course, as we discussed a few minutes ago, then they start walking and eating and they start growing and getting stronger and they start hopping and then they start flying as they get further developed. And as they march along like an army, destroying everything before them. If we look at verse number 11, and the Lord shall utter his voice from his army. 
Who is his army? Which army is he talking about? For his camp is very great. For he is strong and executeth his sword. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. He says, quit putting on this outward show. Oh, I'm so sorry. And so they would rip their clothes and show this outward repentance. He said, stop ripping that and start ripping your heart. Deal with God in the heart where it counts. He says, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth not of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. He said, I want everybody to appear before the Lord, even the newborns. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests and the minister of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Now, we know anytime Israel is attacked, they should call on the Lord. Any people should call on the Lord when they're attacked. And we know that eventually Israel will cry out to the Lord in the last days when they're attacked. But he's calling literally right now. Remember the three different forms of the day of the Lord that's used in Joel. There is the present form where he's saying we're the day of the Lord, we're about to experience the wrath of God. We need to repent. He's probably also here talking about the future. I think this is where he's talking about using the, the term the day of the Lord in a double way. He's talking about now and he's talking about the future as well. Um, look at verse number, well, in verse 20, he mentions the northern army, which um, I, I think the army he's talking about here is a literal, the locust that's coming on them, but it's also a picture of um, the literal northern army that will attack one day, Russia, and will drive them into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the East Sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. And again, this is one of the verses people say, no, he's not talking about a literal locust plague because, you know, you have a battle and there's all these dead bodies, they're going to stink. Well, I read a couple of different people that talked about what happens when the locust plague is over and they've got piles of dead insects laying around. They began to rot, and then disease begins to spread in the land, and people start dying from the disease. I, I read somewhere about in Palestine um, years ago, there was a locust plague that came through, and when they got to the Mediterranean, they, the 
um, the locusts got just started jumping into the Mediterranean. Well, then they, their body, they drowned and their bodies got washed onto shore and started rotting. And the disease started spreading. And it was massive, the numbers of people who died from disease from the insects. And now not only do you not have crops, there's nothing to eat. Now you're dying from disease. And so just a horrible, horrible time. And so this stink that's rising, it wouldn't be surprising one bit if he was talking about literally what was about to happen as, um, as these creatures are driven into the sea and wash back up and begin to stink. In verse 21, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tr uh, tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. And this verse right here is one reason why I believe chapter 2 is still talking about a literal locust plague. Because he says, I want you to repent. I want you to turn to the Lord. And the Lord will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. As I said before, each one of those a different phase of the growth of a locust. My great army, which I sent among you. So who is the army of Joel chapter 2? He just defined it right here in verse 23. He said, this is the great army. Who is the army of the north? Um, and some say, I, I don't know about this myself. I'm not a scientist. But um, some say that the locust plagues in Palestine would come from the south to the north. So they're like, this can't be a locust plague because it's coming from the north instead of from the south. Well, if this locust plague is coming from God, it can come from wherever he wants it to. So, you know, I mean, just the fact that this is a second locust plague in a row, there's fires, there's drought, all of these things happening, and he's about to tell us about the final judgment, the day of the Lord at the end of the tribulation period, then why in the world would I doubt that locusts could come from the north? But regardless, um, there are definitely a picture. This is double language here. He's talking about literal locust, but it's also a picture of the judgment of God that's going to come in the future. Now, um, he's going to restore to them, but then he starts talking completely prophetically of the church age. Let's look down at verse number 28. Verse number 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This is something he was going to do in the latter days. He was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters. I think that's interesting that he specifies your daughters as well shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men 
shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, which Paul makes it, or Peter rather, makes it very clear that he's talking about the day of Pentecost here. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But he's talking about the day of Pentecost. And in the book of Acts, it's very clear who the Holy Ghost came on. In fact, if you read chapter 1, not just chapter 2, but if you read chapter 1, there's this verse I've always thought was interesting. It's just stuck in here, and it's always stuck out to me. Um, in studying Joel, I started realizing why this verse was stuck here. Look in Joel chapter, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 1. Um, let's see. I think... Oh, yeah. Okay, verse 14. He starts listing all these men who were together as they prayed. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women. And I always thought that was interesting. Why would he have to specify that? With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of them. Well, why does it specify the women? were present. Well, Joel had said that I'm going to pour out on your sons and your daughters the Spirit of the Lord. The men and the women were going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were all going to prophesy. Well, what's he talking about there? The day of Pentecost, everybody in the upper room went out and started preaching the gospel. Everybody went out witnessing. It wasn't just the men that went out witnessing that day. The women went out sharing the gospel as well. Because the Holy Spirit had filled them and now they go out. To what purpose? What is he talking about here? He's not talking about the local church gatherings. He's not talking about um, teaching in the church. That's not what he's talking about. If you read the book of Acts, what did they do? Peter goes out and preaches the great message that we have recorded. But everybody was going out and giving the gospel, the men and the women. And so he's, he's describing here who, how it's going to take place. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Verse number 30, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. This used to be confusing to me. I would think, well, he can't be talking about the day of Pentecost because all this other, the weird stuff didn't happen at the day of Pentecost. All those signs in the heaven, that didn't happen at the day of Pentecost. Well, let's look over in Acts chapter 1 again and see. Um, if you look at chapter 2, um, he begins dealing with this. And I mistakenly did not mark down the exact verse. Let me see if I can find it right here. Chapter 2. Okay, let's see. Okay. Here we go, verse 16. But this is 
that which was spoken. What's happening right now? Why do you think this is all a crazy experience that's going on today? As the Holy Spirit had been poured out and they went out and they started preaching, he said, but this is that which was, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, and he continues on preaching. So he says, this day is this fulfilled. Well, what part is fulfilled? The sun didn't change that day. The moon didn't change that day. What's he talking about? I think what, he, what Joel is prophesying here is he's showing us what is going to mark the church age. What is going to mark the time where the Holy Spirit is poured out on his people? It's going to be marked by the day of Pentecost at the beginning. And when the sun and the moon start changing and there's signs in heaven, you know the day of the Lord has come. The day of the church age is over trouble has come because the age has changed. We have hit a new period. So Joel is marking out for us in these verses at the end of chapter two, he's marking out for us the church age. It's marked by what at the beginning? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming. What's it marked out off at the end? Well, he's talking about the great tribulation period at the day of the Lord, the wrath of God at the end of the age. What happens during that time? What happens during the church age? Verse 32 describes, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered or shall be saved. Now, when is the day of deliverance? When is the day of salvation? The day of salvation is today. The church age is when we have the opportunity to go out and preach the gospel. This is the age in which we prepare men for the coming judgment of God. To warn people the wrath of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming on this earth. So you need to be prepared. Because then chapter 3 gives us the resettlement of Israel back into the land and the final judgment of God on the earth. For behold, in those days, and in that time, what days, what time? The end of the church age. That time when the sun begins to change, and the moon, and all of that happens, the signs in heaven. For behold, in those days, I, and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Okay, we talk about signs. We talk about when is Jesus coming back. We talk about when is it all going to start. Well, he gave one of the signs right here. He says, when this starts, this is the beginning of it, when it's going to start. Well, what is that beginning? 
He said, when I start returning the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, when Israel begins to be resettled by the Jews, he said, we know we're in the last times. Well, that means we've been in the last times for a few years, haven't we? I mean, I I remember uh, Joseph Scriven, who wrote It Is Well With My Soul after his daughters had all been drowned and he lost so much of his wealth um, in the great Chicago fire and his little boy died of disease. Um, the media crucified him. In fact, if you look at some records, and some even his church music historians will say he went insane. Even the news reported it. I'm sorry, even back then, if you believe the news media, you got a few screws loose. Because I've read some of those news articles about Joseph Scriven. He went insane. Why did he go in? What were the signs of him going insane? He wanted to move to Israel and help them establish an American um, community in Jerusalem. Why? Only an insane person would want to do that. And so they said he was insane because he came up, became a missionary to Israel. So what was Joseph Scriven's insanity? Well, his church wouldn't even let him come to the church anymore. They talked bad about him so much because they said God must be judging him because all these bad things wouldn't happen to a good person. He's done some terrible secret sin, and his church shunned him, and the media crucified him, and he moved to Israel. And um, anyway, that was a long time ago. That was during D.L. Moody's ministry. Israel began to be resettled. So we know we're at the end of the age. And if you keep studying this, and I challenge you, go home, read the, the book of Joel this week. He describes what's going to happen. He describes this terrible day that there's going to be this utter destruction of these nations that rise up against God. In verse 15, he talks about literally the sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars will withdraw their shining. Verse 16, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion. What an awesome time. God is going to show up. He is going to deliver his people. Verse 17 so shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion. Isn't that something? The name Joel means the Lord is God. That's the reason why God called the prophet Joel to preach this message. His very name proclaimed the message. He said, you're going to know in that day, in the last day when God shows up and he fights for his people and destroys this nation from the north, he destroys the nation of Russia and the other nations as they've joined together to come against Israel. He said, you'll know that I am God. Then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord. He said, we're going through drought right now. It's bad right now. We're going through a drought, but one day the Lord's going to come and he's going to fight for his people and there's going to come a river out of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the voice for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land but Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed for the Lord dwelleth in Zion so don't fall into that crowd that believes that God is through with Israel because he's not he's already started resettling them 
The day of the Lord is coming. The Lord will fight for Israel. He will establish them permanently. What an awesome day that will be. So we live in the church day age. We live in the day in which the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. So what's our responsibility? is to prepare people for the day of the Lord. G. Campbell Morgan, in writing about the minor prophets, he said, it is for us to declare that the day of the Lord must come, but that we are living in the dispensation of the poured out spirit. We must urge men to call on the name of Jehovah, for only thus may they be saved from the perils, the judgments of his coming day. So let's be about what we have seen from the message of Joel here of warning people that God's judgment is coming and the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way that they'll be saved from that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message from the great prophet Joel. Lord, such a simple message. Lord, a man that we know nothing about, yet we know this man, just in his very name, portrayed for us the message of the book, Jehovah is God. Lord, we thank you that we live in the church age. We live in this opportunity that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, pray that you would help us to be about this most important mission. Lord, that we would all be bold witnesses of the gospel this week. And Lord, that you would help us to realize how close we are to the day of the Lord and that we would be prepared and we would help others be prepared to meet your coming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.